I uh, have been doing lots of Jesus-like things for the last nine years in San Angelo. And I've been to lots of different camps and been a part of lots of different altar calls. But I have never quite experienced what I did last night, uh, getting to watch you guys respond to the gospel and to who Jesus Christ is. And the way I want to start things today is this. I'm going to ask you guys a question. I'm going to ask you to be very honest. And it's going to be uncomfortable for most of you, I'm guessing. Uh, But we're going to go somewhere with it, okay? So, here's what I would like to happen. If you made a decision last night to choose to follow Jesus for the first time in your life, you asked him to save you from your sins, if that's you, stand up. Okay? Now, there's a reason I'm doing this. Cash ourselves on cookie dough and milk last night and playing Newcomb, what you guys need to understand is that there were angels in heaven partying. I don't know if they had cookie dough cash, you can grab a seat, but maybe they did. If I were an angel, I'd want cookie dough. I don't know, but the point is, God is so lit up about his children loving him and following him that every single time one person repents and turns and chooses to follow Jesus, there's a party. There was a party last night in heaven. Can you believe that? I mean, heaven where the streets are paved with gold. And where night and day they never stop worshiping God. There was a party last night. That's mind-blowing. Okay, next. Cash, thank you for being brave. Next, if you recommitted your life last night to Christ and asked Jesus for a fresh start, stand up. Now here's the reason I did that. It wasn't to front anyone out or to make you any more uncomfortable than you probably have been this weekend. But here's the reality. If you can't be real and you can't be bold in front of your peers at church, there's no way you're going to go home with this thing. If you really think about it. Right? Because here's the number one question everyone is asking right now. Number one, When are we leaving? And I promise it's going to be soon. But the second question you're asking is this. Now what? Because the reality is, we can't stay at camp forever. What was last night just some emotional response? Was it just some sort of camp high or camp vibe? Or did God really do something? And you know what I believe? I believe that God really did something. Because to see every single one of you get up and go kneel down at this makeshift cross, you can't fake that. You can't fake that, but we're going to go home. And we just sang that song again, and it steps on my toes every time, because I'm telling you, and a lot of you know this, your moment of suffering lasts far longer than just a moment. Some of you are going to go home to chaos. You're going to go home to trials. There's going to be a situation this week. You're going to be tempted. You're going to want to turn your back on Jesus and turn your back on youth group. The last place you're going to want to be on Wednesday night probably is youth group. So this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where we ask, now what? What's next? And today I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite, all-time favorite Bible heroes. His name? Peter. Everyone say, hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. 
And, and here's where I think we're at, where we're at today. There are times in life to stay. There are times in life. I'm multitasking. I don't do that well if you haven't caught on to that yet. There are times in life to stay in the boat and drift. But there comes a time in your life where you've got to step out of the boat and trust Christ. And that's where we're at today. That is where we're at today. And Peter, I love the story of Peter. And we're going to flip to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to ask Josh to do that. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 32. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them, and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in their rifle and said, oh. and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come, come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took him took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Some of you will go home, and you'll watch wind and waves instead of Christ, and you will sink. It's just a fact of life. Some of you will go home lit up, and you will be consumed with passion and fire and zeal for Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you caught it, but Peter did the impossible before he failed. The story doesn't read that Peter tried to walk on the water and he immediately sunk. It says that Peter walked on the water and when he took his eyes off of Christ, that's when he failed. Think about it. He's the only one who can claim fame to walking on water. And it's because his eyes were focused on Jesus. You know what I think fueled Peter's passion for that? Because if you think about it, that's not unnatural, right? I mean, it's not like Peter was standing at the volleyball court and he saw a ghost on the other side of the net and he's like, hey, Jesus, if that's you, I'll go over to the other side of the net, right? I mean, it says that it was the third watch of the night, which is like three, four o'clock in the morning. And Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me and I'll come out there. That's unnatural. But when you love Jesus, that's how your life is lived. It's not normal for someone your age to not listen to Kixie. It's just not normal. But you know what? If you love Jesus, you're not going to listen to Kixie. Just point blank. It doesn't matter what the lyrics say or what they don't say. If you love Jesus, you're going to do things that all of your classmates aren't going to do. You're going to be the one who doesn't cheat on your homework. You're going to be the kid, the teenager, who does their chores without having to be asked five million times if you love Jesus. You're going to be the one that's quick to forgive others when they wrong you. You're going to be the one bugging the mess out of Jill and your leader saying, hey, can we have a 
And, and it's not that the disciples in the boat, the other 11, it's not that they did anything wrong, right? I mean, I'm not just trying to throw shade on them and throw them under the bus. They were just in a boat, chilling. But you know what? They, did, they missed out. They didn't get to experience what Peter got to experience. The whole purpose of this camp is for you to get out of the boat. Step out and follow Jesus. Go beyond the expectations that your leaders have for you. Prove yourself wrong. Prove every hater wrong. Prove your past wrong. And prove God to be right. The other 11 disciples, they didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't get to experience what Peter experienced. And I think what gave Peter this passion is the time that he spent with Jesus. Do you know what happened just before this? Verse 13, it says, well, verse 13, it is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus was chilling with the disciples and there was a big crowd. And it says that it was late in the day and the disciples were tired and grumpy and hangry like some of us are today. And the disciples were like, ah, gee, Jesus, according to my G-Shock watch, it's getting late. Why don't you send the crowds home? Right? Like, man, you bogus disciples, how dare you tell the Son of God what to do, but we do it all the time, right? Like, God, bless me, give me this, give me that. So the disciples actually tell Jesus, Jesus, why don't you send these crowds home? It's late, and they're tired and hungry. And Jesus told his disciples, you feed them. They didn't have any stripes with uh, pre-fried burritos. I've been sitting there for six hours. There's no Julio's burritos on the corner. No 7-Eleven free Slurpee day. But Jesus put the demand to feed 5,000 plus people on 12 disciples. How did they do it? With one sack lunch, a couple loaves of bread, and a couple fish. But when Jesus tells you to do something, he always gives you what you need to do it. And he always multiplies. He always multiplies everything. He takes your little bit and he matches it with more than enough. And, and you're taken care of. And then here's the point. Peter didn't have a camp high with Jesus just because he walked on the water. Peter walked with Jesus day in and day out. And that's what fueled him to step out of the boat. That's what gave him the inspiration and the motivation to do the impossible. When you are consistent with Jesus in your walk with him, you begin to see and understand who he really is. And it fuels your faith and your tiny little mustard seed faith begins to grow. And you begin to live in a way that is different from the ones around you. If you don't take this fire home just like Justin prayed, then it was for nothing. It was for nothing. Let's flip over to John 21. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I'm going to ask Mike to read this one. Yeah. I can't tell you what verse because I can't really open their mic. John chapter 21. Verse 1. <clears throat> After this, Jesus revealed himself again the disciples by the sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were going together Simon Peter said to them I am going fishing they said to him we will go out with you they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thank you. Check it. Disciples are fishing all night. Jesus is long gone. They saw him beat up. They saw him ridiculed. They saw him strung out on a cross. And, and I'm thinking if I were a disciple, I'm pretty crushed. I'm pretty disappointed. I'm not really sure if this Jesus is who he says he is. And I have laid down everything to follow him. And now I don't know what to do because he's not even here. So they go back and they do what they used to do. They fish. How many of you are fishers? I am not a fisher. I will not tell you what kind of bait to use, how to cast your line. And I certainly am not going to touch your fish, let alone eat your fish that you catch. No offense if you catch what I'm saying. But the disciples have fished all night long and they haven't caught a single thing. They're tired. They're stressed out. How are they going to provide for their families? They don't catch fish. There's no money. There's no food to take care of their family. And that morning, there's Jesus and he's on the beach. He's on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus right away. But Jesus yells from the shore, Hey, throw your net on the other side. Now I don't know if you're like me, but when you're a professional at something, you really don't care for others to tell you how to do what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Anyone else with me? Okay, there's seven of us. Congratulations to the rest of you humble cats. <laughs> but Jesus yells out and he tells them where to throw the net. And, and so they listen and they throw the net. And after all night of fishing and not catching a single thing, the Bible says that they caught so many fish that the net was ripping. 153 large fish to be exact. And it was John who figured out that it was Jesus. And John said it's Jesus. And it says that the boat was about 100 yards offshore. But Peter, Peter couldn't wait for that boat to coast to shore. It's not like Peter was on the Olympic swim team. You know, oh, Peter can't keep Peter out of the water. Peter, get in a boat. Quit tubing. We're not tubing on the lake. We got to go. Demon possessed dude. Another shore. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't like that in Bible times, but Peter, he can't wait. For the boat to land at shore in 100 yards is about 300 feet. It's really not that far. But Peter couldn't wait. And it says that he jumped in the water and he swam to shore. And not only that, but it says, Jesus said, go bring me some of the fish. And there's like 12 other disciples, right? 
Peter could have been like, oh man, I'm tired from that swim. Like, we could have just chilled with Jesus, but Peter instantly goes and drags a net full of 153 fish to shore. Peter probably did CrossFit. Maybe he did yoga time. That's a ton of fish to drag to shore. But doesn't that strike you about Peter? Peter wasn't fueled by his hunger for the fish. Peter was fueled by his hunger for Jesus. What you have experienced this weekend is the real deal. It's not some camp high. It's not some camp vibe. It's not some emotionalism that's going to go home just because life sucks and your family's jacked up and you don't know how to handle it. It's the real deal. But the question is, what or who are you fueled by? Because here's what you might not else know about Peter. Yeah, Peter was the one that jumped in the boat or jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. Peter was the one that got 153 large fish and brought them to Jesus. Peter was the one that stepped out of the boat and walked on water. But it wasn't long before that that Peter denied Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter did that. And just like someone said earlier, you are going to go home and fail, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that this thing isn't real. But when you are fueled by and motivated by your hunger for Jesus Christ, you're going to go home and live differently. Cash is going to go home and live his life differently now than when he came to camp to begin with on Friday. I think Cash is probably going to play a little less outside or play less video games. I don't really know him. But I'm guessing that Cash is going to get a Bible and he's going to start reading his Bible. And he's going to start praying more and he's going to start walking like a disciple of Jesus because that's what you do and that's what all of you have the power and capability to do. Who are you fueled by? Peter was anchored to Christ. He wasn't fueled by his hunger for the fish but by his hunger for Jesus. Remember the whole race analogy from last night? There's a thing called an anchor leg and a relay. The anchor leg is the final position in a relay race. Typically, the anchor leg of a relay is given to the fastest or most experienced competitor on a team. The athlete completing the anchor leg of a relay is responsible for making up ground on the race leader or preserving the lead already secured by their teammates. This is Hebrews 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Malachi. Jesus isn't asking you to go where he hasn't been. He's asking you to go where he is, and that's beyond the comfort and security of the boat and the comfort and security of your everyday life. 